Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm a weak vessel, and I need you and your strength and your power. We pray that your word would be present, that you would give me a mouth to preach it, and us all ears to hear and hearts to be receptive. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Also, this morning, um, when I showed up here at the church to print out my sermon and to start practicing and going over it, the printer would not work for my computer, nor Father Benji's computer. Um, and this is what, at least at my previous church, we called low-level spiritual warfare, where <laughs> things just sort of happen. Um, so uh, I hand-wrote my uh, sermon notes uh, before the first service, and uh, you know what? What's probably happened is that since then, uh, the printer has activated and printed out like five or six copies, and it's, it's a little late. Um, so uh, please bear with me as I uh, preach uh, today. We are going to be in First Peter. We've been going through a, a, a series in the first letter that Peter wrote to the churches in Asia Minor. And in today's text, Peter is um, sort of putting a bow on this, this new idea he's introduced a few verses, chapters earlier, on a new identity in Christ. As beloved children, as God's people, a royal priesthood, holy nations, living stones being built into a holy temple. This is who we are as followers of Jesus. This is what we've been made into, our new identity. Up to this point, Peter has uh, shared with us three of four different aspects about our new identity. First off, he's mentioned that the raw material used to create this, this uh, royal priesthood and holy nation is us, namely our formerly ignorant selves, who we were and are in our fallen state, driven by disordered passions. This is the raw material used to create this new identity as beloved children of God. And we learn through Scripture, and it should be apparent, that the agent, the one who creates and crafts out of this raw material, this new identity, is God himself. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God is the agent taking the raw material to craft us into this new identity. The mold, the blueprint that God uses is none other than his son, Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21, we hear, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We are being made into living stones after the template, the living stone, the cornerstone, who is Jesus. The fourth aspect that Peter shares today about our new identity is the purpose, the why behind this new identity. Why did God give us, what's, what, what for did God create this new identity within us? And this is the verse that we hear in verse 9. This is what Peter says. Bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. 
The reason of our new identity that God has given us is to both bless others and to obtain a blessing. See, God has created us to be uh, instruments for a two-way blessing, to receive and to give the blessing of God. So that's what I want to explore today. Please grab your Bible from your pew and join me in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. And I'll give you the page number, but I don't know it, so you're on your own. 1015. 1015. Thank you, Father Benji. So in this text, Peter starts off by saying, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this, to, to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. That's what I want to focus on is the blessing of God. But the first thing we have to explore and unpack is that word blessing. Because there's a lot of cultural baggage with that word, especially here in the South. When you hear people say, oh, bless your heart, it's usually kind of an insult to someone's uh, intelligence or, or, or uh, wisdom level. Um, they don't actually mean bless them. Uh, there's also the, uh, the popular hashtag blessed about having some sort of prosperity in our life or, or whatnot. And uh, I'm reminded of my, my dad, who's, who's a skeptic, um, whenever, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, and I'm also a, a priest in the church, and so he likes to poke at me. And so when I ask him sometimes, hey, Dad, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm blessed. Um, usually in, in cultural, you know, lingo, what we mean by this is sort of, we, we have abundance, prosperity, maybe good luck, sort of detached from God's hand. That's not the case in the scriptures, obviously. In scripture, the word here today is eulageo, meaning a good word or to speak good. It's where we get the term eulogy from, you know, which is a good word about someone who's passed away. So this is, is, this is used to talk about speaking good of or to other people. It's occasionally used in scripture about not just speech, but tangible good gifts, like financial gifts. So when churches would bless other churches in the New Testament, uh, that term is used. They would bless them when they give them a financial gift, for example. But what's most often in view is God, who is the source of the good. So blessing is an invocation of God's good for someone, for someone else. Peter himself quotes Psalm 34 to explain this blessing a little more. He speaks of three different things that we hear in this text. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here's the three different things that we see there that would encompass this blessing that Peter was referring to. A life worth loving. Good days. And then the eyes and the ears of the Lord. So, a life worth loving. In view here, actually, let's talk with, start with good days. In view here, this is just 
the normal, like the, the roof over our heads, uh, the um, uh, daily bread that we receive, provision for life, just uh, the normal good that we get in our day-to-day life. We can kind of understand that, but Jesus himself speaks of having an abundant life, which is not necessarily about eternity. That's the second part. We're going to get to that. But it's just the here and the now, a full and joyous life that we receive just because of the good that God has given us. Not always in view is a jet plane. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel, but I'm talking about the, the basic goods that we receive. Good days. Peter also, and this is in Peter's mind because Peter refers to this gift from Jesus, is thinking of eternal life, a life worth loving that does not end ever. In fact, he speaks about an inheritance that is unfading and unchanging, life eternal. The third thing, eternal life does not just mean life that doesn't end but it's life that doesn't end in relationship with God. In John 17, we actually hear this. Verse 3, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To have good days, everlasting life, and a relationship with God is in view here in the blessing. And in particular, the psalmist and Peter elsewhere is thinking of having the eyes and the ears of God in that relationship, having our prayers heard. That's what he says when he says, uh, the psalmist says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Now, Peter references this a couple weeks back when he speaks about husbands and wives. He says, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. This is verse 7 showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Part of God's blessing is for him to hear your prayers. And this, is not, this does not happen to everybody. To the wicked, God closes off his ears. He doesn't hear them. That's what we hear throughout the book of Isaiah. So who is in view here that receives the blessing of God? So this is where, you know, I, I needed a little explaining, but in view here of the psalmist and, in, and Peter, it's the righteous. Those who are obedient to God receive his blessing. We hear, let him keep his tongue from evil let his, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Throughout Scripture, we learn that those who trust in Jesus are accounted righteous. We're saved by grace through faith alone. But there's a sense in which it's those who are righteous obtain this blessing. And in Peter's view, it's those who seek peace, do good, don't speak deceit, those who bless others are the ones who obtain this blessing. So those who um, are, are blessed you know, by relationship with God and all of these things are able to, out of the blessing that God gives, be a blessing to others. So we are blessed to be a blessing to others, okay? 
the abundance that God gives us, we can share with other people. The relationship that we have with Jesus, we can bring others into that. But there's a sense in Peter that those who are righteous, who bless others, are the ones who obtain a blessing. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way blessing from God. And the point is that God wants to richly bless not just you individually, but others with you as an instrument. So we receive blessings from God. And that's what Peter is, is pointing out here. And this is the blessing that we receive from him. But we're also called to bring blessings to other people. And Peter has two different people or two different uh, uh, realms in mind, two different venues, the church and those outside of the church, namely the enemies of God, namely the enemies of God. And the reason I would say that is because in verses eight and nine, it seems to be addressing two different venues. He doesn't explicitly state it. And a lot of these overlap. But first, the church. We are called to bless those within the church, blessing others within the body of Christ. In verse uh, 8 is, I think, what is being spoken of. That's what's being spoken of here. But the reason why we are called to bless others within the church is, one, because God has commanded it in his word. In Galatians 6, verse 11, or verse 10, we hear St. Paul say, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. If this is our forever family, guys, if we're going to be in this together, not just now, but through eternity, we, we have to learn to love one another and bless each other within this community. And this is our training ground for Christ-likeness. I'm reminded of the hymn, um, so in, in uh, my previous church, on the Monday Thursday service where you wash everyone, you know, people wash each other's feet. It's this hymn that goes, and I don't remember the name, brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Within the church, we embody Christ and his blessing to other people, other members of the body of Christ. So this is why we start here. This is our training ground. Peter um, gives us a way to do this. How? I'm going to go in reverse order just to make things confusing for you. The first way to start is with humility, a humble mind. To not think of yourself highly, but to think others of others first. So uh, I think it's C.S. Lewis who said, um, humility is um, not thinking of yourself less but thinking, or, uh, not um, thinking uh, less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. It's an outward focus. Thinking about other people rather than being self-centered, self-focused. What do people think about me? You know, um, you know, what do they think I did? You know, it's outwardly focused on other people. Starting off that way enables us to, to have a tender heart, meaning affection for others, care for other people. And if this doesn't come naturally, that's where a lot of the other steps come in. The way to start from that with that is to pray with God and to share God's heart for other people. So if having a tender heart or having the feels 
for other people does not come naturally. We're called to have brotherly love. Love is not always a feeling, but an action. And for me, when I hear the word brotherly love, I think of two brothers fighting each other. In that moment, they hate each other. The parents intervene and say, stop it. You have to get along with your brother. You have to love your brother. I want you guys to make up right now. And they have to outwardly uh, reconcile and love each other, even though inwardly they're like, mm. who gets on your nerves within the church? I hope it's not me. But think of that. You are called to love that person. And it might not always feel easy to do. Think of a spouse. There might be times where you and your spouse butt heads. But in the end of the day, you got to say, I love you, and you got to mean it. And so that's what love means, is, is showing love, outward action, even if we don't feel it. But there's also a sense in which even if we don't feel it, we're called to feel it. Sympathy. That's the next one. That our inward inclinations for people that get on our nerves are called to be overcome with sympathy and care for other people. If you know how to do this well, please explain it to me. Uh, I need to work on it myself. But these are ways in which you can bless others within the body. Inwardly in your heart. Outwardly in your actions. By verbally saying good things. By tangibly sharing a meal together. Doing things like this. But the, the final thing, and it's actually the first thing Peter mentions, is have unity of mind. So I don't want to focus long on this, but there are a lot of churches nowadays that want unity at all costs, even if it means trampling on the blood of Jesus again. We are not called to have unity at all costs. We are called to have unity of mind, agreeing with God about who he says that he is, and agreeing with one another about God and about the life that God has called us according to the scriptures. That's what we're called to. And it might be difficult, but we bless others by accurately telling them about Jesus, by taking them under our arm and showing them the way of Jesus more accurately if they're at fault. Loving them truly in that way. And by blessing others with love and correction and having that kind of unity within the body of Christ, we show others about who Jesus really is. In John 17, verse 21, Jesus says, and he, he prays to the Father, that they may all be one, that's the church, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We are called to bless one another in this way within the church so that we can bless the entire world outside with our witness. And this is where I think Peter, in some respects, pivots in verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. We can experience evil within the church. 
there are evil people within the church. And I'm not just talking about, oh, we're all sinners. No, there are wicked wolves within the church that can cause harm, division, deep, deep pain. And I admit that. But I think Peter is, has the mind of those who are the enemies of Christ. Because he uses some of the same terminology as when he talks about Jesus as our example. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter has in view those who not only are outside of the walls of the church, but those who are the enemies, sworn enemies of Jesus and Jesus' people. And we are called, our training that we have within the church to be Christ to one another gets put to the test when we're outside of the walls of the church experiencing the enemies of Jesus. Being Christ to our enemies this is Jesus' example, as I just mentioned. And it's assumed that we will be reviled on some level or another. We will experience evil. I will say, maybe in, for us within this congregation, you're not going to have a sworn enemy who wants to kill you. But your brothers and sisters in Nigeria, in North Korea, and in places all around the world do. And we're not called to bless those who are outside of the walls of the church, namely the enemies of Jesus, in that we, we affirm what they do because we have to call evil, evil. But we're called to bless our enemies, the people, and to make a distinction there. And I'm reminded of, um, there's a meme that I saw on, on, uh, online, which Lottie loves when I mention memes, um, because I see them all the time. Um, but of a Russian Orthodox bishop with a bunch of holy water. And he is blessing with this holy water, he's blessing RPGs, AK-47s, and military-grade weapons. And I think the caption was like, now this is my church, or something like that. Um, but there's something about that that doesn't sit right with us. Because we're not called to bless evil actions or activities, but the people, the enemies of Jesus. How do we do this? With speech and with action. We're called to speak good. That's what benediction literally means, blessing. We're called to bless with our words other people, complimenting them truthfully, um, loving them with our words, but also praying to God who can richly bless them. And then tangibly, make a table. Invite people who might be your enemies, or maybe they don't like you that much, to share a meal and to have fellowship with them. The best way to bless people who are outside of the church, namely your enemies, is to invite them to church. This is the place where the blessings of God, the word and the sacraments, are on display for all to see and to hear. And, and God changes hearts. He can do so outside of the walls of the church, but he can do so inside as well. But why would God want to bless, I'm not just talking about non-Christians, but the enemies of 
Christ. It's because God wants to bless, again, everybody. Not just you individually, not just you as the body, but everybody. The entire universe. And this is an overflow from who God really is. God, the Father, has always been in blessed, abundant, beautiful, loving relationship with his Son and his Holy Spirit. This is called the Trinity. And this relationship is so incredible, so good and overflowing that God himself created an entire universe to be invited into and to share into that relationship, that blessing. And this is why we are called to receive and to give the blessing that God has for us. This is why you are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, living stones being built into a holy temple. God called us, caused us to be born again as his beloved newborn children to be a two-way blessing, to give the blessing and to receive the blessing that alone comes from God. Abundance, good days, a life worth loving, and relationship with him. When you all leave here today, and actually right before you leave, you'll, you know, we'll receive the Lord's Supper, and then we'll pray a prayer, the post-communion prayer, saying, send us out to do the works that you have given us to do, to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. And that is our calling, our identity, to be a blessing to others. But then what happens right after that? Father Shane, acting in Christ's stead, raises his hands and blesses you. This is why God has called you to become living stones, royal priesthood, holy nation, and beloved children, to embody the two-way blessing of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.